Open your Bible to the book of Exodus. We're going to eventually read something in Exodus. But I, I want to start with, with this and, and kind of uh, just acknowledge where everybody's at, maybe in the Lord, because everybody's at a different spot. And we can say it's the journey of your life. Everybody's on a different journey at a different time. But you have to recognize there are stages in your journey. First stage is to get saved out of the world. First stage is to get out of darkness into light. And so we want to make sure today that you get saved out of darkness into light. And then you want to, same thing, meaning we were all under the sway of the evil one or under control of the wicked one. We were all under the rudiments of the world. We were worldly, stuck in the world system, ruled by the world's leader, which is the devil. Did y'all know the world's leader is the devil? Uh, Jesus even said, if you're not born again, you're of your father, the devil. So either God is your father, that means you've been born again and he put the spirit in you, the spirit of adoption crying, Abba, Father, or the devil is your father. And so the first step in your life is to get saved out of that, to get awakened unto God, to get born again, to get enlightened and connected to your heavenly father. That's a big deal. And then to learn the new covenant, to learn the new way, the new connection you have with God, it changes your whole life. And it allows you to disconnect and sever ties with the world. You're supposed to sever ties with the world. You're not supposed to act like the world, think like the world, be like the world. We shouldn't confuse you with the world. You shouldn't even smell like the world. Do whatever it takes to sever all ties with the devil and the world. Now I'm free. Now I'm over here free, cut, cut away from the world and the devil and the dumb things. Now I have a chance to be successful in life. And so then Christians, new Christians learn all the wonderful promises and blessings of God. Whoa, man, I can be helped. I can be healed. I can be delivered. I can get set free. I can get some hope in my life. I need hope. I can get some peace. Oh, I need peace. People in the world, 99.9% .9 of them, they're not at peace. They're in turmoil, internal turmoil. Every unsaved person, internal turmoil. Even if life's going well, internal turmoil. People come in the kingdom, wow, I can have some peace in life. You need it. You need to have some faith for it. You need to recognize this is one of the benefits of Jesus Christ. You get some hope in your life. You come out of a dumb way of living, a dumb way of you being your own God. Now you get to submit to God. Submitting to one above you, is, it makes life easy. You don't have to be the God of your own life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Most people want to be the God of their own life, do their own thing. No, it's a lot easier if you just follow Jesus. You get up in the morning, I don't know what to do. Well, follow Jesus. There he goes. Praise the Lord. So, so we, we come into the kingdom. We can get free. We can get healed. Get your body healed. A lot of people pursue God in the beginning. It's like, wow, you mean God can actually heal the sick? And then we even go a little further. It's like, wait, God can help my finances? God can cause me to have success and prosper in everything I put my hand to? Are you serious? Yes, being with God means that you'll prosper and have good success if you just walk real closely and get the word in you and, and learn of his promises and receive his promises. And he'll give you power to get wealth even. It's like we learn these things like, wow, wow, my life can be helped. So there's two types of people, or we can say there's two sides to the coin. One is, uh, how can God get involved in my life? 
What, what can God do for my life? The other side of the coin is, what can I do for God? How can he help me? How can I help his kingdom? There's always two sides to this thing. One is my individual personal relationship with God. My other, the other side of the coin is my corporate life with other people in church side. Isn't that right? So there's always two sides. And sometimes people get a little stuck in God's helping my life. That's good. That's part of it. And then now he's got a plan for you. He's got purpose for you to do some things for him and for other people. So you got to find out both sides of the coin. It gets quiet when you talk about everybody loves the what can God do for me side. Huge ministries have been built on what can God do for you side. Worldwide popular preaching, what can God do for you side. It's very inspiring. Oh, praise the Lord. But then there's this other side of what might I need to do for God? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I just want God to make my life successful. You can get stuck in getting your life successful. It's a blessing. It's wonderful. And that's part of it. I want to make sure that you're successful at home. I want you to be successful at work. I want you to have a wonderful personal relationship with God. I want you to know his voice. I want you to be led by his spirit. I want you to be filled with glory and joy every day. I want you to be effective in your life and succeed and grow and have vision and purpose. And you can. But let's not exempt us from the other side of the coin, which is what responsibilities do I have to God and, and other people in my life? And I think sometimes people get stuck there. And that's why a lot of people will go to church when they're in need. Financial need or health need or relationship need or I just went through a terrible thing in my life and I need to go to church to get some healing and comfort. And then once they get okay, well, that's it. Now I go about my life again. I got fixed. Oh, well, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to catch the other side of the coin, which is your responsibility side, which is where you start building some real treasure in heaven side, which is what you were designed for. You were not just designed to have a good life. How many of you want a good life? Everybody wants a good life. That's wonderful, but you were not just designed to have a good life. You were designed to tend the garden. That means we were made to, to actually tend the garden. So there's a lot of garden tending that needs to happen. Praise the Lord. So one side is what can I get? The other side is what can I give? On one side, we want God moving in your personal life. On the other side, we want God moving in your church life. Some people are praying for their life to be filled with God and be led by his spirit and have the glory and see good things all throughout the day. And then there's another group of people praying for revival at the church. There's an individual life that needs God, God's, God moving, and then there's a church life that need, needs God moving in it. And so the way we're put together here, what we do here, our hearts united and knit together here, this is what allows God to move freely in here and to cause even greater fire. Amen. Right. We appreciate the fire that every individual has everywhere. Little fires running around all the city tomorrow. You need to be on fire. And then you need to come together so that fire can just really skyrocket. Amen. That's how it works. One log on fire is good, but you put two together, it goes double. All right. So you got the picture, right? We're very grateful and thankful here at Houston Faith Church. And uh, 
You know, sometimes we get a little concerned with things that don't work properly or perfectly, but then we got to be so grateful, so grateful for all the wonderful people and all the faith and all the hearts and all the sincerity and, and just so wonderfully thankful to God for all the people that are helping this bonfire here. And so thankful for all the people out there that have recognized purpose and they're not afraid to share the light with the world. So we're very grateful that's part of this whole thing. And just beware that when you get successful, don't forget God. That was a warning in the Old Testament that when, you, when all of a sudden you're prospering, don't forget it was he that gave you the power to get the wealth. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right. So you're ready for today. Exodus chapter 25 begins uh, something here, but I wanted to mention that in the Bible, there are uh, three different men commanded by God to build a building for God. Three different men commanded to build a building for God. The first one is Moses. And as you look at this, you'll find that there are patterns in building a building for God. There are systems, there's a pattern, there's a reason. And there are similar ingredients necessary. I want you to see this. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you'll take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, and purple. And gives through the offering. So every building needs resources, doesn't it? Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Remember, Moses was commanded to make a, a traveling sanctuary, a temporary that they could put up and take down and travel through the wilderness. That was the first sanctuary built for God. That I may dwell, notice the purpose for that sanctuary, what was it? That I can dwell among them. They had to have the ark, they had to have the holy place, they had to have a, a, a cleansed holy of holy place for God's spirit to come dwell in the midst of people. That was before Jesus, before the real sacrifice, so only partial contact with humans. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And they'll make an ark of acacia wood. He goes through all the details and all the pattern and all the plan for what that building was supposed to look like. The interior, the exterior, all the colors, all the garments, everything was patterned. We call it the blueprint. Every building needs a blueprint. Every single building needs a blueprint. Look at verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark and the ark. You put the testimony that I'll give you. Verse 22, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Hallelujah. It's so God can come in contact with people. That's why there needs to be a building. Praise the Lord. Now, go to Exodus chapter 31. One final ingredient you need for this building. Exodus chapter 31, verse 2. See, I have called by my name uh, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting in carving stone, and to work all manner of workmanship. And then he goes on and says, verse 6 I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. So here's the, the, the other ingredient. You need, you need skilled workers to build something, don't you? 
Isn't that right? Skilled workers in order to build something for God. The second builder, go to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Most of you know this. The second builder is King Solomon. Remember that? So Moses built the tabernacle that was temporary and traveling with the children of Israel. Solomon built a static temple. So Solomon's temple was made of stone, not just temporary curtains. First Chronicles 28. I still hear pages turning in here. Man, that, that means you got paper Bibles. There's a lot of paper Bibles in here. Don't be afraid of a paper Bible. Praise the Lord. It can be all marked up properly for yourself. All right. First Chronicles chapter 28. Start with verse 6. He said to me, it is your son. So remember, oh, stop, stop. King David wanted to build God a temple. And God said, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war. But Solomon, your son, he's going to build the temple. And that's what he says here. First Chronicles 28, verse 6. Now he said to me, it's your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I've chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. The Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cut you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, the, the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Notice the second temple had to have a blueprint as well of the courts of the house of the Lord, all the chambers around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. Same thing, same thing. Just like the first tabernacle, second tabernacle needs the same thing. Verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to, to, to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Notice that. The temple is not for man but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, and all of these uh, items for offering. Remember, they always, buildings always need a, a, a blueprint, they always need an offering, and they always need skilled workers. Look at chat, uh, verse 6. And then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribe, captains of thousands, with the officers of the king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver. Lots of offering. Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Notice it always requires an offering. Everybody okay with that? God's kingdom building always has included offerings. Uh, we, we skipped one here. Go, go back to 1 
Chronicles. Chronicles. In Texas, we can add syllables. Okay. First Chronicles 28, verse 21. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. Notice that they had the skillful workmanship. Every building needs skillful workmanship. Praise the Lord. All right, is everybody happy so far? So we have two builders, Moses and Solomon. Does anybody know who the third builder was? Only, only if you've read the call of the Christian. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Let me show you. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Y'all see that? Now, that just means that there was going to be the Messiah coming from the lineage, the genealogical lineage of Jesse, which was David's father. You recall that? Jesus had to come from that branch or from that rod, from that stem or tree trunk. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now we know this is Jesus, correct? And then we've taught on these, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord would rest upon the Messiah. And his name is the branch. You see how it's capitalized? Is it capitalized in your Bible? Okay, so that's referring to the Messiah. Now go to Zechariah chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament right at the end, just before Malachi. Zechariah chapter 6. Verse 12, then speak to him saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for from his place he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He'll build the temple of the Lord. He'll bear the glory and sit and rule on his throne. He'll be a priest on his throne. The council of peace shall be between them both. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the third builder. He was commanded to build the temple of the Lord. Makes sense, right? Or does it? Jesus, in the scriptures, he said, after Peter had a revelation of him, he said, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is the third builder, building the temple of God. Did you know that? You know, I was in uh, Jacksonville, Texas one day, and uh, I was preaching in this church, and I was in their foyer, and um, I saw this picture on the wall, and it was Jesus uh, with a shepherd's staff and sheep behind him in a field. And I looked at that picture, and, and you know, I know, that, I know that Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's the great shepherd, and we're the sheep of his pasture. We know that. On one analogy, he is the shepherd of sheep, but in the natural, he was not a shepherd of sheep, was he? Jesus was a carpenter's son, and that means he was a carpenter, because whatever your dad was, you got into. Jesus was a carpenter by natural trade. He was not a sheep shepherd. 
What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that he knows how to build things. The big deal is that not only can he take care of your soul as a shepherd, he also knows how to build something. He understands foundation. He understands skilled workmanship. He understands details. He understands how to put people in the right spot. He understands how to make something happen. He understands how to get something built for God. I think we need to stick close to him because he's building the church. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Sometimes we get to thinking that, you know, it's all just about us grazing in the field. Just grazing in the field, just kind of enjoying the peaceful life. And that's true. You can enjoy the peaceful life. But at some point, your, your, your uh, uh, fur needs to get sheared. Your wool needs to get chopped off, get sheared. Some, at some point, you're going to have to do something for God. So you're going to have to find your place as a skilled laborer. Some are called to be leaders. Some are called to be bearers of burdens. Some are called to be carrying stones from, from outside inside. Some are leaders, some are workers, some are, and really we're all everything to some degree, but there's always overseers of the work and there's always everybody doing everything if you're gonna get the, the temple built. And uh, if you recall, Solomon's temple was made with stones. You recall that? Solomon's temple was made with stones. And it was interesting in Solomon's temple, there were rules in the Old Testament in this pattern for the building of it. God gave the layout. He gave all the details, all the colors, all the sizes of everything. And he said this about Solomon's temple. He even said it about Moses' ark. He said, you cannot use a sharp tool to carve the ark. It has to be a, a stone, natural stone. And then when he got to Solomon's temple, uh, he said the same thing. He said, you cannot cut these stones on the temple mount. You had to cut them out by the mountain and you had to carve them out by the mountain so that no sharp instrument would be found near the temple because it signified war. That's why he wouldn't let David build the temple. He said, you're a man of war. You cannot build my temple. It's too holy. And so he would not let a sharp instrument be seen or or, or, or in proximity to the holy place. So what they had to do with Solomon's temple, they had to go out and car, carve out these stones from the mountain and then perfectly shape them because there was no mortar between the stones. Solomon's temple, the old temple in Jerusalem, there's no mortar between them. They were perfectly carved to fit together. And that had to be done before it even got to the building. There was planning involved. There, there, God had a complete parable or analogy designed so that stones are put together without any kind of mortar between them. Now, some of you know the New Testament. Let's read it here, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1, 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We've all, we, we all should be, uh, as newborn babes, desiring the milk, and then we grow up and we become mature in Christ. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. Jesus is called a living stone. Why? Because he's the chief cornerstone of the building. 
Jesus is the first major primary stone to set the foundation for the church. He's a living stone. The apostles and prophets are the rest of the foundation put together as foundation for us. And then guess what's next? Me and you. We're next and we're put into the building. Verse four, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everyone in here is a living stone. You're supposed to be put together in the building perfectly. Each one of us has a special spot in the body. Everyone has been chosen by God to fit somewhere. Isn't that exciting? And it's not like you can just kind of, well, just throw that in this side. I don't know about, I don't like that side. I'm on the west side. I want to be on the west side of the wall. You can't. You got to go where you're, where you're put. Well, I don't like, I don't know if I like the rock I'm sitting next to. Well, you better start because that's your friend right there. That's your buddy right there. That's the one that's keeping you in right there. You better start liking those stones around you. Go to Ephesians chapter two. And this is where, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, we get excited about the Lord. We get saved, delivered, blessed, and learn all these wonderful promises. Well, make sure you also learn that his plan was to put you somewhere in the body where you can be part of. That's part of the plan. Being a church person is part of the plan. And I get a little concerned because there's a lot of people that, that are still not part of the body. They've never recognized the value of being put somewhere. They're happy to be touched and blessed by God. Let me just run off and and, you know, succeed in life. Well, that's contradictory to, to the building of the Lord. So be careful of that. Be, beware of those tendencies. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 says, now, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners from the covenant, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See there? I didn't make all that up, did I? Come straight from the Bible. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The King James Version says that we've been fitly joined together just like Solomon's stones in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You and I have been put together in the building so that there is a place for God's spirit to dwell. Take a deep breath as you breathe that in. It's special. Listen, this body of Christ is special. This church building stuff is special. We're not talking about the physical building. Solomon built him a house, but then the next scripture in Acts 7 says that, but the Lord does not dwell in temples made with hands. So I'm not trying to correlate the two Old Testament buildings to this physical structure. 
You with me? Because you are the temple of God. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will walk in them and dwell in them. And they shall be, I shall be their God and they shall be my people. You know, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Hallelujah. The spirit of God dwells in you. But not just as an individual. He dwells among us when we're together. So you, yes, you're the temple, but so is the church, the temple of God. So when we come together in assembly, we should expect a move of the Holy Spirit. We should expect something to happen for everybody. And that's why I pray that all the time, that the Spirit of God in here is doing stuff for everybody. Everybody has, as they have need, the Holy Spirit is here. There's so, like you say, we hear it all the time. You know, I've been watching online, but man, it's, it's a lot different here. It's just so much better when you come. What is that? Well, there's something special about the body assembling together. That word assembly means uh, not just, hey, I decided I might go to church this morning. No, the word assembly means called out. That God has called us out of our homes to assemble together. He has call, he's called you every service. He's calling you out to assemble with the saints. Hallelujah, something special about it. Look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, sitting under the teaching and preaching, verse 11 through 13, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. There's a lot of enthusiasm about this. Uh, I was trying to live my own isolated life, I guess. Okay, now listen. This is part of your spiritual growth to go from God's blessing me, I love Jesus, to, hmm, I've been fitly joined and knit together, and therefore I have responsibility. When I got in the kingdom of God, um, I, I knew church was supposed to be part of a Christian's life. I, just, I knew that from growing up. We never were really highly committed in church, but I knew it was supposed to be because uh, I knew some, some healthy Christians that were always in church. And so when I came back to the Lord, I, I knew that church was going to be part of my life. So Sunday morning, I'm there. I, I never missed a church service since. Never missed a church service. I mean, unless I was out of town for business or something like that. Never missed a church service voluntarily. That meant whatever I was doing on the weekend had to get cut short on Saturday. So instead of two days off, you get one day off, just like the Bible predicted. <laughs> Sabbath was you work six days and the seventh day you get to do what you want. <laughs> now everybody wants three days off. I went off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. And so I started going to church every Sunday and nothing would stop me. And my thought was, you know, my thought was, well, this is what Christians do. We're, we're there. And then I realized real quickly, wait a second. There's somebody that I met. They'll be looking for me. I, I met somebody. I met two, three. I got two or three people that, that know my first name. They're going to be looking for me. I, I'm going to be there. They'll be looking for me. I'm going to be there. Why does that matter? No matter what people think. What? Don't, don't you have the love of God in you? Don't you recognize that? It matters now. 
People just need to see me. They need to see that I'm faithful. Christians need to see faithful Christians. They're looking for me. Well, what if they're not looking for you? I don't know. I just pretended like they were all looking for me. I'm here. I'm here, everybody. I was a, I was a heathen two months ago. I'm here now. I'm yours now. That was me. That was my commitment. I'm going to be there every time because that's, I'm, that's what Christians do. I need to grow anyway. I need to love people anyway. It's so different in the, in the kingdom. And, um, and it was like a year later, maybe, maybe nine months or 12 months later, and I realized that my church was having Wednesday night services. I'm like, what? They're, they're meeting on Wednesday. I mean, I've been going every Sunday. They're, they're meeting on midweek. What's a midweek? They're meeting Wednesday nights. Huh, I got to go Wednesday nights. I didn't even know. And this is just an example of how you grow. When you're, when you're fir- first in, you don't have any Christian habits. You have no church habits. It's like whatever you do, you do. And so I knew Sunday was good, but I had no insight on an extra service a week until I learned of it. And I learned of it. I was like, ah, they're meeting without me. How can the church meet without me? I cannot miss anything. So I started going on Wednesday nights. And that was so important to me that, that I actually told my, uh, my boss, we started this new consulting project. And I said, hey, I, I'll be able to work late all, every night of the week. Uh, you know, 50, 60 hours a week like normal, except Wednesday night, I got to leave, go to church. She said, okay. Well, about six weeks later, she called me in the office. She said, you, you haven't been working uh, uh, enough. I'm like, well, I, I only miss one night a week. I only miss working late one night a week because I told you how to go to church. She goes, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. That was, my, that was my heart, my commitment. Everybody has their own deal to, to go through and their own faith to work through. Uh, but at the same time, that was my commitment. It's like, ah, church? Sunday? Wednesday? How, when else do I not need to miss? Why? Because I'm a stone. I'm stuck. I can't even get out. I can't even wiggle out of this one. And so we don't want the body of Christ, we don't want the church to have missing stones in it. A missing stone is not a window. It's just a missing stone. I, I, I'm going to create a window this week. No, no, we don't need a window. We need a stone there. But again, it's, it's progressive. Your, your revelation and your dedication and your commitment, your consecration is usually a little bit progressive, meaning I'm going to grow up in him in all things. I'm going to let go of my elementary, immature, milk-drinking ways, and I'm going to go ahead and let the rest of the world get knocked off of me, and I'm going to be a Christian for somebody. I'm going to be solid for somebody. I'm going to step into my role for somebody. Well, I don't know what my role is. Well, just, just be a stone then. Just sit there and love somebody. Just be next to somebody. Just next to somebody. You're carved, so you gotta, you got to angle the car. I don't know. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Part of this is that together we get strong so that tomorrow we can go out and save the world. So we make a difference out there. Because, listen... 
God needs leaders. He needs blueprint designers. Now, now in the New Testament, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, with Christ being our builder, what do we have? Well, we have offerings because we still need buildings to put the people in so we can keep growing. So offerings are always still needed, uh, but that's the only natural thing that's the same. We have a blueprint for the church. Who's the blueprint for the church? Jesus Christ. He's our example. And the apostles, they're our example. Follow me as I follow Christ. So Jesus and the apostles and the prophets are the example that has been set for what Christians do and how we think and who we are. Isn't that right? And then we have, we have blueprint, we have offering. That's it. We have blueprint, Jesus. We have offerings. And we have skilled workers. Somebody's going to have to be here doing things. Somebody's going to have to go outside and get those stones out of the mountain. We got soul winners out there, right? We all need to be soul winners out there, carving up stones, getting them in here, dragging them in here. Bearers of burdens. We got somebody carrying those stones. We got people winning souls. We got other people inviting. Every week we got people inviting the church. We got help helping people get here, guests get here, and we're fitting them in. We're, we're loving them. We're connecting them to people. There's a lot of work to be done to build the temple of the Lord. It's not just automatic. Have you ever, want, have you ever thought that the, this whole thing just grows automatically? People just get saved automatically. God's just doing it. Not if you don't. Think about a whole, around the world, all the crusades and all the, all the evangelistic stuff that's happening all over the world, the big stuff that's very notable. That doesn't just happen. It happens because some knucklehead decides, I'm going to win some souls. Sorry, he's not a knucklehead. It's because some Christian decides, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win some souls. I'm going to put up a big stage and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend $50,000 and I'm going to set up a crusade in whatever country. And I need some funds. So can y'all send me some funds? Because I'm going to set up this thing. And everybody's like, well, he always needs money. He's thinking, no, you're the, you're the one always thinking about money. You're the one that's covetous. If that's your first thought when an offering's taken for the work of God, you're the covetous one. You don't value people enough. You're not valuing the building of the church. Same thing with the Christian who never shares his faith anywhere. How do you think people get saved? Well, it just happens. No, you're going to have to share your faith. You're going to have to care about people. I can't go to your office and lead people to Christ for you. And you could have heard a cotton ball drop. <laughs> cotton balls hitting the floor everywhere. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 40, there's a purpose in this. The purpose, remember what the Old Testament purpose was? Why did, they have to, why did Moses have to build the sanctuary? Why did Solomon have to build the temple? For God to have a place to dwell. For the name of God. He built a house for the name of God. Well, guess what? You and I house the name of God. We house the Holy Spirit. We house God himself. We house the name of God. It's the Christians that proclaim the name of Jesus. Here's the goal. Notice the end of the building of the sanctuary and the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33 they raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. 
Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Notice when you finish the work, the glory comes. I said, when you finish the work, the glory comes. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse one, the end of Solomon's temple building. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse one. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and all these things. He assembled the elders and all the heads of the tribes. Skip down to verse Four, so all the elders came and the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with them before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen and could not be counted or numbered for multitude. And then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant to its place to the inner sanctuary. Skip to verse 11. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place... For all the priests were present and had sanctified themselves. And the Levites who were with the singer, who were the singers, all the, those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Very similar to today. When the work is finished, and, and I would say, you know, we're never really going to finish this work, but as the body gets put together... It can be perfectly put together even though it's growing. So when at least the majority or a good number are put together in one mind, one cord, one heart, the glory of God comes. The cloud can come. The blessing can come. The joy can come. When we're all singing with one voice, when we're all serving with one voice, when we're all loving each other with one voice, it's very important that we do our best to get there. Maybe nobody's ever perfect. Maybe no church is ever perfect, but can we do our best? Is there any possible way that you could decide to plant yourself here? Let's see what the Lord does with us. Any commitment? Can anybody commit to plant themselves in a particular house of God? And let's see what the Lord does with us here. Let's see if we can get the cloud to fall. Let's see if we can get the glory to come. Let's see if we can get the power of God to start manifesting every single time. And it is, it is, don't, don't think just because you can't see the power that nothing's happening. I just want to remind you that if you were there when Jesus was healing the sick, you wouldn't have seen power. There was no halo on him. There was no physical glory on him. He was a man doing miracles that people in the back couldn't even see. You have to understand, don't be thinking physical eyeball, I didn't see anything happen. You can't lift, you can't think like it's spiritual stuff. And, and then the, 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 the power of God, the dunamis power of God 
is not seen with the physical eyeball. The, the healing power of God looks like spit in an eyeball. If you had watched Jesus ministering, you might have fallen like the Pharisees did. What's he doing up there? They say he's healing. This. He's doing it on the Sabbath. They couldn't even see the miracle because of the Sabbath day. Got to be careful of thinking that we're looking for something we read in a book. We read stories in the book. Well, on paper, it sounds like magnificent. But in the process, it's sweaty, crowded, can't tell everything that's going on. Don't know the testimony during the meeting till it's written. So don't glamorize all the old pioneers and their works. You'd have dust, mud, no speakers, no air condition, bunch of radical people coming into a building and going home, people falling out on the street. What are they doing? Oh, I don't know what they're doing. Let's not glamorize too highly what you're supposed to do with stories you've read, what you're supposed to do with books you've seen, with inspiration that's come from you learning or you hearing of a testimony. What it's supposed to do to you is not make you say, well, how come we're not seeing all that? Don't do that. Don't do that. What it's supposed to do is cause you to say, I'm going to, call, I'm going to cause that in my life. I'm going to do my best to call, I'm going to cause that. I want to cause that. I want to help people like that. Not I want to go somewhere where stuff like that. When you get there, the grass looks greener elsewhere. When you get there, it'll be like, nothing's happening here either. That's your fault. You're supposed to be the fiery one. So let's not glamorize things and say, well, you know, nothing's really happening, so let's just go home. Be careful of those things. You're going to have to be spiritual about it. You're going to have to get stuff in your heart between you and God, and you cause it. All of my churches I've ever been part of, it's like, I'm not looking out to see what I need to mimic. It's like, I got to cause the Bible to come to pass here. I got to help the next person get healed here. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's like, how can I make it happen here? If the spirit of God is the same forever, let's do it here. When I first got in the kingdom, there was a lot of prophesying going on about the next move of God. Well, the next move of God is coming and God's about to, and, and thus saith the Lord, I'm about to, and the wave's coming and the next wave and, and God's gonna, and, God, I'm, and it never registered with me. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what y'all are talking about. I don't know what you're waiting on. I doubt that you're ever going to know you were in a wave. Till it's all over. And it's like, whoa. Looks like I missed that one. Hope I get the next one. So don't fall the trap of prophesying what God's going to do. For me, I heard all that. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm already in it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting people saved and healed already. I, I don't know what you're doing, what you're waiting on, but it's supposed to be happening tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. Today, let's do it today. We can't wait. Well, you can't get healed until the move comes. One day, God's going to blow in the, the door and the Holy Spirit's going to blow in and everybody's... He, he already blew in. He blew in as soon as y'all got in here. He blew in. Now, now we just need some faith to cause something to happen. We're not waiting on God to blow in. He's waiting on you to blow up. Come on, you can have revival right now regardless of what the next person's doing. 
you got to be on fire. You got to be sold out. You got to be, you got to be totally, totally dedicated and committed to where you're supposed to be. Totally committed to the spirit world, totally committed to God in the spirit, totally committed to the will of God, totally committed to people, totally committed to the gospel, totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I going to do for God? Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.